You're listening to the Dogaritaville Podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Lily. We are two dog professionals with two different styles, two different backgrounds, and two common goals. To drink delicious margaritas and talk about dogs. Welcome to Dogaritaville. Welcome to episode three of the Dogaritaville Podcast. Today we are discussing the best way to pick your next dog. Should you get a puppy or an adult dog? Should you rescue or buy from a breeder? We'll be talking about all this and more while drinking our watermelon-themed margaritas. They're so good. For every episode, each of us does our best to create a delicious margarita around our theme. We post the recipes on Instagram so you can try them at home. And if you have an idea for a theme, just let us know. We'll keep you updated throughout the episode about how we feel about our drinks. We have different ideas of what makes the best margaritas, so our recipes always differ, giving you some options. So for this episode, where we're discussing how to pick your next dog, the first thing we're going to do is evaluate our wants and needs. Then we are going to talk about how age factors into the decision and how breed factors into the decision. Then we'll be talking about whether to adopt from a rescue or shop from a breeder. And finally, we will end off with some personal stories about how we chose our own dogs. So with all of that in mind, let's get started on evaluating what we want out of a dog. First and foremost, I just have to bring something up that I did not bring up in my intro and I've regretted ever since. (laughs) And that is like the only thing that I do outside of dogs is watch hockey. Even after we recorded our intro episode, Lily was like, you didn't bring up hockey. And I was like, what? I couldn't believe it. I was like, she must have intentionally left it out. I didn't. I literally did not cross my mind, which it's always on my mind, so I don't know how that's possible. (laughs) Anyways, I am an avid Golden Knights fan, and I'm super excited to have a second team when Seattle starts next year. So just know that. I'm sure it makes your life better knowing that. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Your dog training expertise is all the better knowing that you watch I mean, around here, most of my clients are Golden Knights fans, too. So it's it does work out. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so as far as evaluating what you want in a new dog, you know, we're not talking about do you want a Golden or a Yorkie or a Schnauzer or whatever, whatever breed that you think you want. We're talking more about, you know, what do you really want? Do you want a dog that can go everywhere with you? Do you want a dog that's going to be fine at home for eight hours a day while you're gone? Do you travel a lot? Do you want them to come with you? Do you need them to stay home? Do you want a partner on the trails to go running? Do you mind having a higher maintenance dog? You know, just kind of evaluating what your deal breakers are as far as like, hey, I work all the time. I can't have a high energy dog because I don't have time to exercise it. Or, hey, I'm a marathon runner and I have to have a high energy dog. (laughs) So really kind of evaluating what you really, really want opposed to just, you know, breed type. It's definitely okay to evaluate aesthetics as well. So I want to make sure to say that. So if you have a preference for what your dog looks like, that's not a bad thing in my opinion, but just be ready to concede on that because a lot of what I consider to be the most beautiful dogs in the world are the most high maintenance. And whether you can handle a dog like that is a lot more important about what your dog looks like. So for instance, instead of saying, I want a husky because they're beautiful, you can say, I want a medium to large sized dog with fluffy fur who looks pretty. (laughs) So there's also taking into account kind of what you need over what you want, right? Like, yeah, I would love to have a greyhound or something like that, but do I need a greyhound? Does a greyhound's lifestyle fit my lifestyle, right? 
So there's a lot of lifestyle assessments that need to start happening when you're talking about this. You know, how active are you? How active is the dog that you want? How much time do you really have? That sort of thing. Having a dog is very much a relationship. So it's just as much about what you need as what they need. And I feel like most people don't take that into consideration. They're like, I want a Dalmatian. I want this. I want that. Blah, blah, blah. And very rarely do you hear people say, you know, well, I want this, but they're super high energy and that's not going to work for me, right? You don't hear that very often. <laughs> so taking into to account your needs, but also their needs. Yeah, that definitely would have been my story with my first dog if I had not reached out to you for help about how to pick a dog because I just thought a dog's a dog and yeah. <laughs> all of the dogs I've ever had were super easy. I guess I was just super lucky. I don't know. And so I would have been like, this one's the cutest, and then just expected it to work. Which, I mean, to be fair, sometimes it does. Sometimes it does, but we can't really count on it. <laughs> um, so some other questions that are helpful to ask yourself before deciding what kind of dog you want to get are things like, do you have kids? Do you have other pets? Do you foster animals? Do you have a lot of guests or parties? Do people often bring over their children and their dogs? Um, and those questions are important because it will help you decide whether to get a dog that you know is good with kids, pets, guests, visitors, whatever. Other good questions to ask, how often are you home? Laura already kind of touched on that. How long are you out of the house at a time? Can you afford a dog walker if your dog needs you to be home more than you are? What quantity of food can you fit into your budget? Which I think is one that goes unchecked a lot and that will help determine the size and age of your dog. I never really thought about food until I got my fourth dog, Noble, who is absolutely ginormous. <laughs> he's about, he's close to double all of my other dogs. And so, you know, I had three pretty large dogs and food never crossed my mind. And then I got Noble and everything changed. <laughs> so not only is he the fourth dog, but he eats twice as much. And man, he goes through food so fast. <laughs> So, I mean, it's something that you don't really think about because you're like, yeah, of course I have to buy dog food. Who cares? But, you know, if you're buying a good quality food, it gets pretty expensive. And if you have a larger dog, you go through it pretty quickly. So, yeah, definitely something to take into consideration. And other cost things that we might not necessarily be thinking about are medical costs. So, you know, things like getting a senior dog might come with some medical costs and grooming costs. If you have a dog with a double coat or if you have a hypoallergenic dog, your grooming costs are going to be a little bit higher. So those are some things to keep in mind as well. I cannot fathom having a dog that needs grooming. <laughs> I can't. All of my dogs are short hair, and I just can't imagine. I mean, it's so much work, not even to mention the money, but like just having to take them in every four to six weeks. You usually have to brush them in between that. Like, it's just so much work. Yeah, it really <laughs> I've is. Never I've never had a dog with, like, hair, so I don't know what that's like, and I don't ever want to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that was our first segment, which ended up being shorter than I thought it would be, but that's okay. Turns out when we're not drunk, this goes much quicker. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, just in case we want to leave this in the episode, I'll just go ahead and say we recorded this yesterday. Um, and we recorded for about three hours. and Which our longest episode previously was, what, an hour and a half? Right. And yeah. that is the farthest that either of us has, have been from sober, like, while we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> it just got out of hand. We went on so many tangents. Which, to be fair, that's not why we're re-recording. We're re-recording because my dumbass didn't have my mic 
plugged in appropriately. <laughs> <laughs> so the sound quality is unusable. I think that that was kind of a blessing in disguise because we're... Yeah. I 100% expected to have to re-record it regardless of sound quality. <laughs> as, like as soon as we turned it off, I was like, yeah, that's not going to that's not going to go. That was just <laughs> garbage. <laughs> that was great though. <laughs> so, now that we've evaluated our wants and our needs, it will be easier for us to decide some other things about our dog. So, let's take a break and then when we come back, we'll talk about whether we want a puppy or an adult dog and how breed might factor into the decision. My margarita is not as good today. I had some blender problems. <laughs> I mean, it's still delicious. I'm officially like working right now, so I didn't make a batch of margaritas and then drink the whole thing. <laughs> I just made one for like a normal person. I really need to find a way to keep in the sound bite of me being like, uh, she's chucking a bottle of something right now. <laughs> Even if it sounds completely different from the rest of the episode, I just need it to be in there. Okay. I'll yeah. It was a it was a great moment. After like what, two hours of recording or something, I was all out of my entire family sized batch of margaritas. And I was like, well I don't want to stop drinking, so I got a bottle of wine and I don't share my wine with Scott, so I don't need to use a glass. I mean, what's the point? So I was just drinking a bottle of wine. Anyway. <laughs> it was great. It was great. So margarita check. Laura, how did you make your margarita? So my margarita, what did I do? Uh, it was a little weird because I knew I was making a full blender, so I like tried to double it and I just eyeballed it for a first and it turned out really well. But I did two ounces of tequila I didn't measure the watermelon. I just froze it and tossed a bunch in there. (laughs) (laughs) I did two limes, uh, freshly juiced, one ounce of triple sec, and then two teaspoons of agave. And it is an absolute delight. It's also my first blended one that we've done on the show. And blended is like my jam. So I'm just thrilled. (laughs) Keep in mind that I made enough for more than one margarita pour, okay? So this is not one margarita's worth of ingredients. But I used four ounces of tequila and two ounces of St. Germain, which is an elderflower liqueur. And the reason that I decided to do that was because I was seeing a lot of really yummy looking recipes for watermelon mint margaritas. But my my little grocery store that's taking... COVID seriously is not stocked on mint and I didn't want to get COVID at the big store. So (laughs) I was like, what else might taste good with watermelon? And I decided maybe elderflower. I don't know. And it is. It's it's so good. I love this decision. I'm going (laughs) to love this decision. I'm going to have to fly out to Michigan and get go to bartending school at your house (laughs) because man. I don't have any idea what elderflower St. Germain blah, 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 blah. It it's so good. I, I have it because I like to put it in my gin and tonics, but it turns out that it goes really well with watermelon. So four ounces tequila, two ounces St. Germain, the juice of one lime, and then I cubed a watermelon and froze the cubes. And then I used about two and a half cups of those frozen cubes and then blended the whole thing. I put sugar on the rim. 
but only on half of it because I wasn't sure I would like it. And I didn't. So <laughs> I'm glad I only put half. And yeah, this is, I was really not expecting to like this one. Um, shout out to one of our Instagram followers and probably one of our listeners who suggested watermelon. Sounded weird. Turned out great. She's the best. Yeah. Uh, um, so why so little lime? You only did one lime? Yeah, I did. Sounds very watermelony, which isn't a bad thing. Well, that was the only way I could think to make it actually watermelony because I didn't want to buy like a watermelon syrup or a liqueur or something because yeah, that sounds gross. Yeah, it does. And so I just figured I would have it. I would have the watermelon shine a little more. Interesting. Um. All right, puppies. Since you're the puppy guru, I'll let you go into the pros and cons of puppies. All right. So. When we are thinking about the age of our dog, I know a lot of people really want a puppy, and I completely understand why, but there are pros and there are cons, so <laughs> we will talk about both. So the pros are of a puppy are that, and when we recorded this yesterday, we realized that I'm really talking about buying a puppy. This is buying a puppy um, from a reputable breeder. The pros in that situation is that the puppy most likely has a neutral feeling about most things. So you have a lot of opportunity to work from scratch and shape behavior. You can socialize the puppy and reduce the chance that they'll be afraid of things like fireworks, people, dogs, thunderstorms, the vet, the groomer, whatever it is. And you can build foundations for the behavior you want to see from a grown dog, like greeting people politely or not nipping on hands. And of course, there's always an element of nature as well as nurture, so you can't just like handcraft your perfect dog, but there is more opportunity for you to do that with a puppy than with an adult dog who already has solidified feelings and behaviors that might need to be adjusted. If you're adopting from a rescue and getting a puppy, I still think that you have more opportunity at that age than with that same dog as an adult because he hasn't gone through his fear period yet and he's still just a little bit more moldable. So I think that there is more opportunity whether you adopt or shop with a puppy than with an adult dog to kind of shape all of those things. Definitely. The cons of a puppy are that they take up a ton of time and a ton of energy. It's constant management. It's constant work. This is what I do for a living. So I'm home all the time with the puppies that come through my house. And if it was a different situation where I was working full time, I would not get a puppy unless I could stay home for at least two weeks. That's not to say it can't be done to work full time and have a puppy, but personally, I wouldn't do that. And two weeks is honestly like the bare minimum for me. It's just, it you just need to be there. Like your puppy needs to learn appropriate things. And the only way for them to do that is for you to be there. Well, and it's tough, right? Because like everybody works. So it's not like I expect, like it's pretty unrealistic to say you need to take a two weeks off, right? Not very many people can do that. So it's not like, oh, you can't get a puppy if you don't take that time off. But it's like, what do you do? Unless you have like a babysitter or something like that. Like it's it's damn near impossible. <laughs> and especially because, too, they don't have all their vaccines. So it's not like they can just you can start taking them to daycare right away. Definitely. So that is why my job exists. So if you can find someone who does what I do, which is board and train for puppies, just make sure to interview them and make sure that you're okay with all the methods that they use and everything. So another pro in uh, in the puppy arena is that they're just delightful. They're just damn delightful. It's pure to watch a puppy learn and encounter things for the first time. And it's so nice to snuggle and pet their soft, warm puppy fur. And it's just <laughs> delightful. 
Laura has a different feeling about that, I think. I do. I'm not <laughs> I'm not big on puppies. I would much rather I'm like a, an old man, honestly. Like I don't want to mess with with you. Just give me a dog that's going to chill and we're good. <laughs> <laughs> and then to balance that out with another con, I will just tell you, if you have a puppy, you will never not be cleaning up pee. You will not get a full night's sleep for weeks. You will constantly be discovering new ways that the puppy has learned to entertain itself, which is not as charming as it sounds. And (laughs) as I'm talking, I think that this might just be an extension of my first con, which is that it's a lot of work. But really, it is a huge con, I think. Like, it's a ton of work. It's a ton of management. So you need to be ready for that. And I feel like people don't take you seriously when you're like, yeah, puppies are a lot of work. They're like, yeah, yeah, of course it's work. And I'm like, no, no. (laughs) Every waking hour for the next six plus months. And some of your sleeping hours. Yes, also. (laughs) That was a bad usage of waking hours because it's every hour, all the time, forever. (laughs) (laughs) They just never stop. So one thing, too, that I just wanted to say about puppies, though, is something to just be aware of is that they don't have set temperaments, right? So when you're buying a dog, uh, when you're buying a puppy, it doesn't come into play so much because obviously there's a little bit more of an idea of what they're going to be like. You know their parents, you know their grandparents, you know their siblings, uh, if you're uh, presumably buying from a good breeder. So there's a little bit more assurance there, but especially if you're rescuing a puppy, they don't have scent temperaments. So like Charlie's always my prime example of that in that he was the best puppy ever. He was never in trouble. He was easy to train. He loved everyone. He loved everything. He listened. But then he hit maturity and all of those animal skills that we had built up just jumped right off right off the cliff. <laughs> it just went right out the window. So I learned my lesson the hard way. And obviously that is very, very much the exception, not the rule. I don't want people to like be scared of rescuing puppies. Right. <laughs> but it is pretty common that once they hit maturity, you know, their attitude starts to change a little bit. So that is something to just be aware of and be prepared for. Which kind of brings us into your uh, first pro for adult dogs. So pros for adult dogs, in my opinion, they're just a little bit easier and that they generally have a foundation. Their foundation is not always the best, but they at least understand the basic concept of like, people are in charge, people ask me to do stuff, right? So I think it's a little bit easier in that sense and that even if they have a lot of bad habits, they still just understand that basic rule, right? One of the big cons is that it is so much troubleshooting you just constantly have to be troubleshooting especially in the beginning as far as you know is are they house trained are they not house trained do they know this do they not know this how do we teach them that this is not okay when they've obviously learned that it is okay and then one of the big things as far as adult dogs go obviously i'm a huge advocate for adopting adult dogs Nine times out of ten, if you tell me you're going to go get a dog, I'm going to recommend getting a two- to three-year-old dog, especially if you have, like, kids and cats and things like that. Obviously, I'm not going to tell you to go to a random shelter and just pick a random dog that you don't know is good with kids and cats. (laughs) But I would recommend going to, like, a foster-based rescue that the dog lives in a foster home with kids and cats and we know can do well. But yeah, I'm a huge advocate for adult dogs, but it comes with kind of a different set of of pros and cons in puppies, right? So another option that we have not talked about is that you could adopt a senior dog. And I love this option. 
And if you're considering adopting a senior dog, you might also consider becoming a hospice foster for your local rescue if that is where your heart is. Senior dogs are arguably like my favorite, I think. They can sometimes be a little bit more high maintenance as far as medical goes, but that's something that you're pretty prepared for going in. As far as if you're going to look at a senior dog, you're obviously thinking, okay, do I have money for vet care, (laughs) right? Right. And not all of them. Again, I have tons of senior dogs that they're super low maintenance. They don't have anything wrong with them other than they're just older. They might need a joint supplement. (laughs) Right. Um, And then hospice dogs too. Generally with hospice fosters, if you're with a good rescue, the rescue is going to cover pretty much all their cost. So that doesn't have to be as much of a concern there. One of the big things that I get... More with senior dogs than hospice dogs, Um, oddly. (laughs) Senior dogs, I constantly get, well, I don't want to adopt him, and then he dies. Whatever dog you adopt is going to die someday. Exactly. Just keep that in mind. (laughs) Like, yeah, your puppy's going to die too in 15 years. Right. (laughs) So I don't like to think of it that way because, I mean, you don't know if it's going to be soon or it's going to be a few years from now and you know what's the alternative for that dog they just don't get a home to me that's a lot worse than getting attached to something and losing it (laughs) but yeah hospice fostering is definitely a lot harder but honestly it's like one of my favorite things and it it sucks don't get me wrong (laughs) it's so hard but it's a hundred and ten percent worth it for sure I don't think I've ever met anyone that's done hospice fostering that regretted it. I'll say that. Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty awesome, even though it does suck and it is really hard, but it's totally worth it. Yeah. And there are going to be pros and cons to everything, of course. And the con here is that, yeah, you're going to maybe go through some emotional turmoil when you lose this dog. But the pros of it, I think even emotionally are like they're just going to outweigh the cons by by a million miles because – you got to be a part of that dog's last days and make sure that they had somewhere safe and happy to be. And like, what's better than that? You know? Right? It's so great. <laughs> I can't I can't speak highly about, enough about it. So we've kind of gone over how age is going to factor into your decision. And so now let's talk about breed. How will breed factor into a decision? Being a rescue person and a pit bull person, It has been completely drilled into my brain that breed does not matter. For the last 10 plus years, (laughs) breed does not matter, which I feel like is just wrong. It's just not true. Breed absolutely matters. I know what they mean by that, especially in regard to pit bulls, because pit bulls have such a bad reputation and a lot of it is false. So I get what they're trying to do, but like most things in the dog world, it's just way too overboard. (laughs) (laughs) breed absolutely does matter just in the regard of of kind of like what we talked about as far as what you need and what you want you know if you're a marathon runner i'm not going to tell you to go get a lazier breed like a a mastiff or something that's obviously not going to be running 10 miles (laughs) i i want to meet a mastiff that runs 10 miles i'm sure it's out there somewhere (laughs) i i just need to see it like there are obviously exceptions to every rule But it is 100% something that you should take into account for sure. Yeah, definitely. And there is something to be said about, you know, especially as behavior mod trainers, we run into this a lot. Like breed will tell you something, but the dog in front of you is still the dog in front of you. So it is not going to tell you everything, but it will tell you some really important things. Like if you're just in love with German Shepherds, you should know that they are bred to be guard dogs and you're going to have to extra socialize that dog. He's going to be vocal. Um, You're going to have to work really hard for him to not 
bark at the fence, bark at the door, bark at everything. <laughs> and most likely, again, like Brie can't tell you everything, but you're most likely looking at that life. If you're getting a husky, you're most likely looking at living with an escape artist. If you're getting any kind of herding dog, you're most likely looking at making sure that dog is very well exercised and has a lot of puzzles to do. If you're interested in a certain breed, I would just make sure that you're doing your homework, looking up that breed and what that breed is designed to do and what that breed is prone to and see if you can work with that. Because in my opinion, if you get a dog like a terrier or something who is super into digging, I think that you should let the dog dig somewhere, you know? So like, I think you should just be ready to accommodate those breed traits and not be suppressing them. Yeah, maybe digging is a breed trait. But maybe that's where you get them into like barn hunt or something so that their digging is placed appropriately. You're not just going to let them dig up your yard. Sure. But I mean, what I'm talking about is like having an area for digging. So like a little amount of dirt in your yard or like a sandbox or something where it's like fun for them to dig and find toys or whatever. But just like being being ready to accommodate the things that your dog is going to want to naturally do because it's what they're bred to do. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so we have evaluated what we want and need from our new dog, and we have talked about how age is going to factor into that and how breed is going to factor into that. So we'll take another break here, and when we get back, we'll talk about whether we should rescue our dog or buy from a breeder. Margarita check. Laura, how are you enjoying your watermelon-themed margarita? It's just so good. (laughs) It's so good. So the one that I made yesterday during our first recording of this episode was definitely significantly better than the one I'm drinking now. The one I'm drinking now has some big consistency problems where it's like semi-frozen, semi-on-the-rocks. Ew. Which makes it a little bit difficult to to drink, but (laughs) still good, though. (laughs) How did you do it today? Today, I just tried to make a smaller version of what I did yesterday, but I just didn't measure anything. So I, I was just like, this kind of looks like it would make one of what I made yesterday. <laughs> and I think yesterday it was a lot. It was really, really yummy. Like, it was, like, phenomenally good. This is still good. I'm happy with it, but. That's that's probably why we had to re-record it, though. They were too good. They were too good and um quite plentiful. Yeah. <laughs> part, part of it is that we both made, like, four margaritas. But <laughs> the other part of it is that watermelon margaritas are so freaking good, they are dangerous, okay? <laughs> so just just know that. So now that we are good and margged up, we can get into the part of the episode where we're having a little bit more of a loaded discussion about things. So Laura and I both agree that rescuing or buying are both excellent paths to take when getting a dog, but both need to be done responsibly, and it is easy to do it irresponsibly because there are lots of irresponsible breeders and lots of irresponsible rescues. So we're going to walk you through what we consider to be good signs for each one, but first we're going to talk about the unfair shaming that is attached to both. I've been in rescue for 10 years. I 100% know the looks that people get in my world when they have a purebred dog solely because people are assuming that you bought it right Mm -hmm. obviously there are purebreds available in rescue but if you have a purebred they kind of instantly are like where'd you get that right (laughs) and many rescue people don't even believe that responsible breeding exists which is mind-blowing and super laughable because like what what (laughs) i mean that's the weird thing about rescue is that 
it's kind of like the vacuum of the dog world. Like it's the only part of the dog world that has nothing to do with most other parts of the dog world. And it's super strange. But so that's like my number one thing that I say right off the bat when the conversations come up is like, yeah, I'm a rescue person, but I'm not anti-breeder because most of us are. Yeah. And so I'm always very quick to be like, no, 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 I'm not that type. I'm not that person. (laughs) And then there's that age old saying of don't breed or buy while shelter pets die. Which I had never heard before. And it is like infuriatingly catchy. (laughs) Well, right. And it's like so catchy that it's so good, but it's so not true. Right. it's it's such an oversimplified version of reality. And re- I mean, the fact of the matter is you have every right to adopt or shop. That's totally a personal decision that nobody else really gets a say in, right? Both need to be done responsibly. And as long as you're doing either one responsibly, it really doesn't matter. Because I think, too, in my opinion, the the person that has their heart set on a certain breed of puppy is more likely to not get a dog than to switch to a shelter dog, honestly. And whether we agree with that or not doesn't really matter. But equating buying a dog to harming shelter dogs is super irrational. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not that's not the case. Um, so my parents are a really good example of that. Um, they have purebred Weimariners. And uh, they would not have a dog if they didn't have Weimariners. Like, they are more than okay to just not have a dog. Uh, but they love Wimes and they had a chance to get a Wyme. So they did. But had they not, they wouldn't have rescued a dog. They just wouldn't have one. Yep. <laughs> and, um, and it's it's nothing against them. They're not against rescue. They foster for me all the time. They support rescue. Um, but that's the only dog that they like enough to own. We can't always expect people to wait around for months or years to find the breed that they want in rescue, especially as a puppy. Uh, that's just unrealistic. Um, and honestly... <sighs> Regardless of whether they're available in rescue or or not, like, there's so much to be said for having a medical and temperament background, right? Like, having that little bit of knowledge and, for lack of a better term, guarantee that you know, okay, this dog's parents, grandparents, and siblings are all stable, healthy, happy dogs. Yeah, definitely. So I'm also very familiar with that amount of shaming that goes into buying a dog from a breeder because I also come from a rescue background. Um, I'm, I didn't run a rescue like Laura does, but I worked in a shelter before I ever started doing training. But I also know that there's a significant amount of shaming that happens for people who, for instance, had wonderful intentions when they were rescuing a dog, but then found it to be overwhelming or not a good fit and had to rehome the dog, which is a common situation. And... There is something to be said about, you know, you should be doing your research and making sure that you're picking a good fit for you. But people don't know. Like, you know, that's why yeah. we're making this podcast. Like, people don't know. And so it's it's like there's this moral value that's been ascribed to rescuing a dog. And so people feel like almost obligated to do it, I think. But then suddenly because they didn't have all the information, they're living with a dog that they didn't know how to work with or couldn't work with. And in that situation, I think the right thing to do is to rehome that dog. But there is a ton of shame over rehoming your dog. And so I would just want people to know that there is nothing to be ashamed about if you're not able to reasonably meet the needs of your dog or you're not able to work with the dog for whatever reason. Finding a placement that works for that dog is absolutely fine. There's no shame around that. But people will shame you for it, like telling you you gave up on your dog or you disowned your family member 
whatever. <laughs> you disowned your family member. Yeah, I mean, I think being in rescue, I'm a little bit more biased towards it. Um, but as a trainer, I've 100% told people like, hey, this, there's no way for me to make this work. <laughs> like, this is just a bad placement. Yeah. So if you are in that situation where you had to do that, and there is someone who is being rude to you about it, you can send them to my DMs because I am always ready to fight with a bully. <laughs> she really is. <laughs> it's great. It's one of my favorite things about her. Oh, thanks. <laughs> You're like a little little vigilante. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I promise you that the dog isn't thinking that you gave up on them or wondering what they did wrong and why you didn't keep them. And they're honestly, I don't know if this makes you feel better or worse, not thinking about you at all. Um, they're just living their best life in a place that works best for them, and there is nothing wrong with that. So we've talked about some shame that is usually associated with adopting or shopping for a dog when really either one is great, either one is good, but you just want to make sure that you're doing both responsibly. So we're going to talk about what makes a good breeder and what makes a good rescue, and we'll start with breeders. First and foremost, just want to put it out there that there are good breeders. Again, I know many people in the rescue world don't believe that, but it is a fact. Good breeders are hard to find. It takes, you have to know what you're looking for and things like that. They generally do things like health and temperament testing. Actually, I don't even want to say generally there. They, they should. do health they testing. Yeah. <laughs> any, any breeder that does not do health testing is not a good breeder. No. I'm willing to double down on that. Yep. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. But also, too, if you don't know how to look for a good breeder, reach out to some of your friends that might, right? Because it's hard. I had someone reach out to me recently trying to find a good breeder, and I had to dedicate some time to going through a bunch of lists and checking websites and checking the fine print and and really scoping people out because it's easy to be a fraud, yeah. <laughs> especially in the dog world. I would rather spend 30 minutes figuring it out for you than you just going to Craigslist or something. <laughs> yeah. So that's a good segue into we. I have a little a little bullet list here of things to look for and things to avoid. And the first thing on my list is if you're on Craigslist, you have taken a wrong turn. Go back. Try again. <laughs> find a different turn. It's true. Nothing good ever happens on Craigslist, I'll tell you that right now. No. And and in the, I don't know, what are the kids using nowadays? Like Facebook Marketplace or whatever. Like, just don't, don't do that. Don't go to places like that. <laughs> it's all the same. Yeah. It's all the same. Uh, the second thing that I wrote down is you want to see as much transparency as possible from your breeder about the conditions of the dogs. So you should be able to see the birthing area and how the dogs are kept. You may not be able to visit in person. I know that the breeder that I work with, Jen, she's super busy and she is just never going to have time for that. But she is also very transparent about the conditions of her dogs. So she's always uploading photos, doing live videos. Nothing's hidden about how she does things. And if I'm looking for a breeder, I am looking for that transparency for sure. Another thing to look for, if a breeder is letting a dog go before eight weeks of age, that is a bad sign. And sometimes they'll tell you, well, the dog is weaned, but that does not mean that they're ready to leave their mom and their siblings. So eight weeks is the bare minimum. And uh, some breeders won't be letting their dogs go until 10 or 12 weeks. So dogs, for people that don't know, do puppies wean at four weeks, four to five weeks. They stop nursing and start to transition to real dog food. But the remaining four weeks of that period is for socialization and skills, right? So the number one thing that I see from dogs that were taken away from their mom too young is they don't have bite inhibition. Bite inhibition is 
their number one skill that they need to survive in life <laughs> because otherwise they're biting people. <laughs> yep. <laughs> or other dogs, God forbid. But yeah, so eight weeks bare minimum, but there's a whole lot of information within that. And like she said, most good breeders will do anywhere from eight to 12 weeks even. Anything below eight weeks is a huge red flag, whether it's a rescue or a breeder. Definitely. All right, next up, a breeder must, and I say must, I think this is absolutely crucial, have a stipulation in their contract that you have to surrender the dog back to the breeder if you're unable to keep the dog for some reason. Also, a good breeder will not ever let you adopt two puppies at once. Littermate syndrome is very real and very difficult to avoid. So I know that there are a lot of stories of breeders pushing two dogs on a person or making them feel guilty for picking one and not the other. They are not a good breeder. They don't care about you. They don't care about your dogs. They just care about making that dollar. So there's that. Like Laura said, health testing the breeding dogs before breeding and health testing the puppies before they go home is going to be something that a good breeder is going to do. Not all vaccine schedules are created equal. Different vets have different ideas about which vaccines a dog should get and when, but interview your breeder to make sure that there is some kind of schedule and that they have a reason for doing things that way and that it is something that you agree with. And finally, the last thing I wrote down is, this is not necessarily a deal breaker, but I would consider it a red flag if a breeder didn't have some sort of application asking you detailed questions about your lifestyle or if they didn't interview you at all about your family and your home. Personally, I would look for a breeder who obviously cares what happens to their dogs because that means that they were more likely to care about the whole process in general. Yeah, what she said. (laughs) (laughs) So that's uh, some things to look for with a breeder. Now let's talk about what makes a good rescue. I'm going to let Laura take the reins for most of this because she runs a rescue, obviously. Like, there is no better person to ask. So I'll just say real quick, the things that I want to see from my rescue are I want to see a vet check that they've taken care of any parasites, done a complete update on vaccines. I want to say that they'll take their dog back if I'm unable to keep the dog. And the other thing that I want people to know about rescue is something that Laura taught to me when I adopted my first dog, which is you can be more certain of the type of dog you're adopting if you're adopting from a foster-based rescue. In my opinion, there's nothing wrong with shelters. They're often run by really lovely people and they're doing the best with the resources that they have. But unless you're an experienced dog owner, I would hesitate to advise rescuing from a shelter because that's just a really stressful environment and you were no no dog is going to be their true self in that environment, honestly. And so if you're adopting from a foster-based rescue, you can ask a little bit more questions about your dog's temperament and personality. I'm going to speak primarily to foster-based rescues and just leave shelters out of it. Just because of like we already talked about, you know, it's a, it's a different beast. And if we wanted to be that comprehensive, we'd be here for for days. So as far as foster based rescued goes, foster based rescues go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A good rescue knows their dogs. Pretty plain and simple. Uh, they know their likes, their dislikes. They can give you kind of a, an in-depth personality profile, right? Uh, it's not a generic like, oh yeah, he's so cute. <laughs> it's, oh hey, this is this is this is Dublin, and he likes this. He doesn't like that. Blah blah blah. If their dogs are kept in boarding facility in large numbers or for extended lengths of time, that's a huge red flag for me because it's hard to get to know those dogs, right? That's not a real life scenario. That's not a real life setting. Those dogs are obviously pretty stressed out. 
And to be fair, in my opinion, rescues are supposed to be foster based. They're not supposed to be warehousing dogs indefinitely. So And so just for the for the average person who's going out to rescue a dog, how did they find that out? Like would they interview the rescue and ask a certain set of questions or it depends on the rescue. So a lot of the times the rescues I know in my town that do kind of warehouse dogs in boarding facilities, if you set up a meet and greet, they're going to send you to that boarding facility. So obviously that right there tells you. Sure. <laughs> so I would ask questions like, hey, how long has he been here? Because a good portion of the time they've been there for a while. And then two, if you're at an adoption event, you can just ask like, hey, is he in a foster home or, you know, just questions like that. Because like we said, you know, foster-based rescues have more information because if they're living in a foster home, that's going to give you a pretty good idea what they're going to be like in your house. Yeah. So you can get more of their kind of true personalities in that scenario. And don't be afraid to ask questions because if they can't answer those questions or they seem weirded out by those questions, that's a big red flag. Yeah. (laughs) And obviously, I mean, I'm not anti-rescue, obviously. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is that there's no regulation, just like in dog training. So you do have to be cautious. And especially if you need something in particular, you have to ask a lot of questions. So another thing that good rescues do are temp tests. So they will tell you like, oh, he's been tested with other dogs. He did okay. He's been tested with kids. Um, And again, if he's living in a foster home, a lot of that information should be there, especially like, oh, he does okay when people come over, stuff like that. And, you know, it's not a hard and fast rule. Like, my rescue, we don't do cat tests. None of us have cats, and it's just not safe for us to test them. So if we have an adopter that has a cat, we have to test them with the adopter's cats, and we do that as safely as possible. The temp tests aren't always comprehensive, and that's not to say it's a bad rescue if it's not. But that is something to be looking for, right? They should have tested it with something. (laughs) The big, big thing that I always look for is vetting. Most rescues will do vaccines, spay and neuter, and microchipping, but a lot of them won't do anything else, which isn't necessarily to be expected. But especially if you're getting like an older dog, if it seems like if you suspect like, oh, um, you know, does he have problem like allergies or something? His hair looks a little patchy, stuff like that. They should be able to speak to that pretty clearly. One of the big things that I look for is fecal testing, which, again, not every rescue can afford. It is like 40 bucks a dog. So if you're you're doing a lot of dogs, you're not necessarily going to pay that for every single one. But I, I feel like it's a little bit more mandatory just because intestinal parasites are a little bit harder to detect. So it's very, very easy for dogs to have them and nobody to know. And then they are pretty contagious. So again, if they don't do fecal testing, that's not necessarily a deal breaker. But that is something that I think kind of sets good rescues apart as they do extra steps like that. And then like Lily said, any good rescue is going to take their dog back if they I'm willing to double down on that too and say if they don't if they don't take their dog back it's not a good rescue because any rescue is going to take their dog back that's their dog. Most good rescues even nowadays will do trial periods where like the first 2 weeks are a trial just to make sure it's a good fit and during that time they offer you some sort of assistance whether it be training or medical or whatever. But that's kind of the new trend that I see a lot now is trial periods which are super super helpful. But yeah, regardless of if they do a trial, if it doesn't work out, they should have in their adoption contract that the dog has to go back to them. Last but not least, one of my big pet peeves is adoption fees. For whatever reason, I see it more and more now. 
a lot of adoption fees are running like three to even I've seen them as high as $600, which an average dog that just gets spayed, neutered, vaccinated and microchipped, that's maybe a little over 200 maybe. So yeah, super high adoption fees are always wary to me. I know a lot of like breed specific rescues have higher adoption fees because of the type of dogs they deal with. Which I still, I can see to a certain extent, but it's also, like, same same thing. Like, are you, why are you trying to make money off adoption fees? Like, that's not what they're for. If we're going to preach to everyone that they have to adopt and adopting is, is the only way to get a dog, then you need to make it accessible. Because I personally could not pay $400 for a dog. Right. <laughs> So what are, you, what are you doing? Are you trying to make adoption accessible or are you trying not to? Because it's one or the other, right? But yeah, adoption fees are, are something to look at too. Less of a deal breaker because like I said, a lot of breed specific rescues and just some people that I guess don't like to do as much fundraising. I don't know. Kind of use that as more of an income income stream. So, But just be wary of it, especially like I've seen rescues in this town charge $300 for an adult pit bull. I'm like, I can't give an adult pit bull away for free. What are you doing? <laughs> like, what are you doing? And somehow they find people to pay it. I don't know how. So now we'll get into what would determine for us personally whether we adopt or shop for our dogs. Personally, when I'm giving advice to friends, I always default to rescue and then move into shopping after ruling out rescue. And that's because we live in a world where a lot of dogs need rescuing. And I hope that that changes someday. And by the way, that can only happen through responsible breeding, which is a topic for a different day. But that's the world now, is that a lot of dogs need rescuing. And because I personally have the tools and the experience to rescue a dog that has greater needs, I think that I would feel very selfish if I ever decided to shop for a dog. Which doesn't mean I won't, because I would love to buy an Australian Shepherd, which Laura has some feelings about. But <laughs> in order for me to do that, I do think that I would need to spend a lot of time justifying to my crazy moral conscience about why that's necessary. I just We just have very different tastes in dogs. We do. <laughs> I mean, I, I've met some Australian Shepherds that I like. It's just, you like dogs that are so much work. Hmm. I guess I like dogs that are so much work, just in a different way. But I also, like, I'm more of a person who's going to dedicate all of my time to one dog, where you are spreading yourself over several dogs who all need work. So, yeah, it's just, (laughs) it's different. Very. For me, deciding whether you adopt or shop is really, I mean, for me, I'm the type of person that, hey, if you want to do it, do it. Like... (laughs) <laughs> Why are you letting anybody else's opinion bother you? Yeah. Uh, so so for me, it very much comes down to, hey, if you want to buy a dog, buy a dog. That's what you want. If you want that, you know, that Great Dane puppy, uh, be careful with Great Danes, though, because it's really hard to find a good breeder. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like, if you want that Great Dane puppy, um, that's what you want. Go get it. I think for me personally, I don't know that I would ever buy a dog, not because I'm morally opposed to it, but just because... I've never, like, had too much of a hang-up on, on breeds, and I've never really wanted a specific breed so bad that I, I was put in that position, I guess. One breed that I have always wanted that I would probably have to buy would be a Dalmatian, because I'm a 90s kid, and I grew up on 101 Dalmatians, <laughs> uh, and it's it's never left me. But obviously, those don't come into rescue very much. There are Dalmatian rescues, obviously, So that could be a potential option, but whether I decided to get a puppy or not, I don't know. I'm not very into puppies, but 
I think if I was going to spend the money to get a purebred dog, I would probably want to get it as a puppy. So that's a little bit of information about how to decide whether you want to rescue uh, or buy from a breeder. So we'll take a little break here. And when we get back, we will talk about our personal journeys and how we ended up with the dogs that we have. Final margarita check. How How is yours? How's it doing? Uh, it's good. So yesterday I had just a glowing review of this beverage. <laughs> and at this point, I think I had moved on to wine because I had finished <laughs> just a family-sized portion of blended margaritas. I am sad in the re-recording that we will not get to produce me being like, what bottle are you chugging out of? Because at this point in the podcast, all of a sudden I look uh, on our Zoom call and she's just down in a bottle. And I'm like, what is, what is happening? I'll find the sound clip and, and put it in. Yeah, we need to. We need to. It's necessary. Your Marg is long gone. I think both of us are, right? She's over here chugging a bottle of wine. You can't get a glass? Like, what's what's the deal here? So, yeah, yes, yesterday at this point, I was very, very happy with my margarita. I would not have done anything <laughs> differently. And so I'll just I'll just go with that. The recipe that is going to be on Instagram is clutch. I highly recommend. It really is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so do you have anything that you would do differently with yours? No. So today when I was remaking it, I tried to do it on the rocks, and I, I couldn't get it to work. It just... There were issues. So I would be interested to see how the watermelon on the rocks goes. I might keep trying to get there. We'll see. (laughs) Um, So we're going to finish up today's episode just by talking a little bit about how we picked each of our dogs. I have a lot of dogs, so I will let Lily go first. So my husband and I, we have always known that we have wanted a dog, but we, when we first got married, we were in an apartment on Capitol Hill and... We wanted a big dog, and it just wasn't going to do well in an apartment, most likely. So we were waiting until we had a house with a yard. So when we were eventually able to buy a house that had a yard, 36 hours later, we had a dog. (laughs) We were just, we were so excited. That yard was so awesome. Yeah. And that was the one that Laura helped me with. This was for Mooney. So she helped me through a lot of the decision-making and again, like I said earlier, I literally would have just picked the cutest dog I saw and been like, this is going to be great. Like, I would have had no idea <laughs> all the potential issues that I might have run into. So Lara helped me decide that I wanted a young dog, but not necessarily a puppy. So I was looking at dogs that were at least at least a year old and ended up adopting a dog that was 11 months old, but close enough. I was looking for foster-based rescue because I had cats at the time, and I wanted to know that the dog would be good with cats. And then, like I said, Scott and I both wanted a big dog. So that was something that we were looking for also. I will have to put this picture on Instagram because I love it so much. But when I found Mooney's picture, I just instantly fell in love with him. His name was Bernard at the time. And he was just, he's, I mean, this picture of him, he looks goofy. Like, he just looks like a goofy little silly gremlin. I was so excited to find out that his original name was Bernard. (laughs) Like, that's amazing. Which actually, before Mooney, so I, I was on, a, I was in consideration for a dog before Mooney. He was a Neapolitan Mastiff. And they said, like, he already has an app in, but if it falls through, we'll call you. And it ended up not working out. But I was going to name that dog Bernard. And then when we got Mooney, it just didn't fit. <laughs> so anyway, I 
I thought that this dog was just the cutest and I really wanted him. Scott wasn't totally sold when he saw this picture. He was like, that's not a cute dog. I don't want it. Oh, but geez. I know enough about Scott to know that any dog that we met, he would take home. So I just set up the meat. We went. He fell in love like I knew he would. And we took him home. And that's how we got Mooney. Balto went a little bit differently. So instead of finding a dog who fit our lifestyle, we worked the other way around and fit our lives around the dog. And Balto is from Lara's Rescue, the Churchill Foundation. And I remember the very first picture that you ever posted of him on Facebook. He was like wearing a little vest and he had like a little bandage on his arm. I think because he had just broken through a window or something. (laughs) The bandage was because he had broken through a window. The vest was because he had just tried to kill me in our drive from the shelter. (laughs) Yes. All of those things. And... The moment I saw that picture, I just knew that's my dog. It was like a Lara and Peter moment. Like, I just knew. And even though you got him in, like, December and we weren't ready for a dog for another few months, I just somehow knew that he would still be there when we were ready. Like, I was like, that's my dog. Scott did not want another dog. So we're approaching a theme here where Scott doesn't want things. And I'm like, yeah, you do. Um I mean, isn't that marriage? I actually wrote Scott a persuasive essay about why we should get Balto. And he was like, uh, no. I remember the persuasive uh, essay and I could have sworn it worked. I thought that was the like the breaking point where Scott was like, all right. Nope, absolutely not. He was like, "Uh, no. But then in March, it was my birthday. And I was like, for my birthday, I want to go on a road trip to Vegas and we can like see Laura and then like. You know, I don't know, we could meet Balto maybe and just kind of see like what he's like and how it goes. And he really should have known that we were going to leave with that dog. But (laughs) I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. Because in true Scott fashion, he met Balto. He fell in love. He caved to me. And so on my 27th birthday, I adopted Balto. And it is the best birthday present I've ever gotten, which is very Enneagram 8 of me because the best birthday present I've ever gotten is from myself. So when I say that we fit our lives around this dog instead of looking for a dog that would fit into our family, I want to explain what I mean by that. But I'm going to let Laura tell that part of the story because his history is just a little bit crazy and she knows it better than I do. Yeah. So Balto is a big dog. Uh, (laughs) He's a giant like husky shepherd mix. So he kind of looks a little wolfy and he's just big like he's only like what 80 85 pounds yeah but he's tall yeah when he stands on his back legs he's at least six feet yep and super friendly he's not i can't to me he's not scary looking but i'm sure if you don't know dogs maybe he's scary looking just because he's big and and wolf-like yeah and he lumbers around very wolf-like yeah. as well he he does not move like a dog i'll say that yeah. <laughs> speaking of which I feel like we really need to tell the story about how he jumped your six foot fence from a standstill. <laughs> let me let me tell you about him and why he's a little problematic first. <laughs> <laughs> so we got him. He was my Christmas puppy every year. I pull a dog around Christmas and that's my Christmas puppy. It's obviously not always a puppy because I think he was like, what, eight when we got him? Yeah. Still a Christmas puppy to me, though. He had come in originally to the county shelter with his brother. I never saw his brother, so whether it was biological or just the dog he lived with, I don't know. But they got split up at the shelter, of course. They got adopted separately. 
and the family took him home and then they went to go to work. <laughs> and so let me back up a little bit. I get a call from the county shelter that's like, hey, um, we have this dog come back. He has returned by the adopters and he caused so much damage that that we can't adopt him out again. And I'm like, what? What does that even mean? Like, what are you talking about? Because it wasn't like, oh, he was so much like he wasn't aggressive or anything. It was just like he caused damage. And I'm like, what does that even mean? So he had been adopted out. And when they went to go to work, I guess he broke out of his kennel. I'm assuming it was just a normal black wire kennel. Destroyed the house. And then I don't know if it was like a sliding glass window or a sliding glass door or some sort of window. I'm not I wasn't totally clear. I was just told it was a glass structure that he broke through. So then, of course, not only did he break out of his kennel, destroy the whole house and then break a window and or glass door. But he also, of course, tore himself up in that process of breaking through a glass. <laughs> so his his front legs are all cut up. So they're like, yeah, we, we can't adopt him out again because he caused significant property damage. <laughs> Which I've, I mean, in all my years in rescue, I had just never heard of that. <laughs> so I was like, all right, cool. And I'm totally the type of person that like, the harder the dog, the more I want it. So yeah. <laughs> so they're like, yeah, we have him on Prozac and we just, we can't adopt him out, but he's so sweet and, and we just, we, we know you work with behavior dogs. So I was like, okay, cool. He'll be my Christmas puppy. But please tell them about how. He jumped your six-foot fence from a standstill. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> it's still the most amazing thing. So Balto, I mean, I think I, – I don't know all the different words for this. Like, I don't know if it's separation anxiety that he has. I would call it more like isolation anxiety or something because, honestly, if we went to the dog park and he just went home with a different person, he would never know. <laughs> like, he wouldn't He wouldn't miss me. He'd be totally fine. Yeah, he would be like, yay, this is my family now. But – um. So I don't know what the difference is, but there was one day that Scott and I came home and we let the dogs out to the backyard and then I went out to the front to get something out of the car and then Balto was there. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> somehow, yeah, I was like, I had texted Scott and I was like, did you let Balto out into the front? And he was like, no. And so then we were like, well, I need to know how he got out here. Like, is there a hole in my fence? You know, I need to know. Yeah. And so then we set up this scenario where we did the same thing. We let Balto into the backyard. And then I stood in the front yard and was like, Balto, <laughs> to see what he would do. And then he just comes careening over the top of my six-foot fence like it's nothing. Like it's... Yeah, I was going to say, like, it didn't get a running start, didn't no. climb over. And like, just from a standstill, just goes pop. Yep. Like, and I didn't you recorded it, right? Yeah, I'll have to ask Scott to give me the video so we can post that on Instagram because it's hysterical. Oh my god, that would be amazing. I have a front and a back view. I was taking video from the front and Scott was taking video from the back and he literally it's like I don't know how much this will mean to anybody. It's like how Jay Buner bats. Like he's just kind of standing there, not even with the batting stance, and then he just hits a home run. Like like Balto was just you've like been married you've been married to Scott for too long. I've always been a Mariners fan, but um that that was the most Scott thing I've ever heard you say. <laughs> but Balto just like starts from nothing. Like he's just standing and then all of a sudden he's just jumping over a six foot fence. He's just over the fence. Well, and he's not like stressed out about it. He's no. not like, oh God, where's mom? 
He's just like, oh, mom's over there. Of course I'll go over there. Exactly. He's like, that's where the new- the nearest human is that I have eyes yeah. on. He, he actually did hop that fence to say hi to someone who was walking through the neighborhood. I would shit my pants yeah. if a dog like that just hopped a fence and came trotting up to me. I mean, if you know anything about dogs, you could tell by like his swagger that he's cool. Like, yeah. Because he's the least intimidating dog in a weird way, even though he looks very intimidating. But he's just so, like, chill all the time. And he just lopes, like, in a super <laughs> laid-back way. So, like, it'd be very hard to think that he was coming at you in a in a negative way. But just because he's huge and looks like a wolf, I would still shit my pants and, if that dog came walking towards me. hopped over a six-foot fence. Yeah. And, like, this poor lady, like, she was also walking a small dog. And so, like, for oh, that God. reason, like, I would also panic. But she, like, she knocked <laughs> on my door and was like, um, <laughs> I was Ma'am. just walking past and your dog jumped the fence. So, like, again, Balto would be so happy to just go home with anybody. Like, he does not need me for shit. Like, he's just, I'm just here. But he was like, I have calculated that the nearest human is across the fence and I'm going to go say hello. So that's Balto. <laughs> that's the best. <laughs> So that's what I mean when I say we built our lives around the dog and not vice versa in this scenario. We did have to like have a lot of conversations about whether we were willing to do that. Like if if we were not able and willing to do that, then of course there's no reason to build your life around a dog. But we really wanted to. So we had a lot of management in place. We were ready to be with him as much as possible. Um, I was working from home at the time and we were having discussions like if I ever need to go back and work in an office, we need to hire someone to be with him during the day. Like those are the kinds of conversations we were having. Um, so let's see. So those are some of the ways that we were accommodating for Balto. But also something that we learned is that he, for whatever reason, I've always assumed it was because he was medicated before. But Laura seems to think that it's just who he is. But he's just... Not a smart dog. <laughs> I once called him an affectionate bucket of rocks, and that really made Laura it's, laugh. <laughs> it's just the most fitting thing. Like, I've never... If someone had just said affectionate bucket of rocks, I would have been like, oh, you're talking about Balto? <laughs> like, it's just the perfect descriptor for him. Yeah, and it is just who he is. He is the sweetest he's the most wonderful most friendly dog in the world and he's just also not the smartest and so we've needed to find ways to keep him happy and safe in spite of that and we have loved every minute of that and something that we weren't necessarily counting on but that worked out really great was that Mooney also really loves it he loves being Balto's brother and he kind of takes on the job of Balto's keeper a lot of the time like Balto looks to Mooney to show him how to navigate the world and I just feel really lucky to have that as well. Yeah, that's always cool when two dogs, like, have that relationship. Yeah. Like, it's just crazy how they communicate that way. All right. So I have five dogs, so I'll try to keep this as short as possible. <laughs> I'm not sure how much people should look to me for advice here because I'm notorious for taking on more than I can handle and making bad life choices. <laughs> <laughs> but I always figure it out and I'm always super, super committed. So I never make the decision lightly. It's just not always the most responsible decision. 
So Peter is my first dog. We've already talked about him a little bit. I fostered Taiwan dogs for over a year before I decided to get Peter. And it was just like we said before, you know, I saw his photo and I just knew, hey, that was my dog, right? So it was a little bit kismet, but I feel like I did do some good research there. Just in that I had been fostering for so long, I was pretty, pretty prepared for what Taiwan dogs were like, as well as having a dog to be responsible for in a small apartment in downtown Seattle. So that was probably my most responsible adoption. <laughs> Charlie, my second dog, he I always say that he adopted me. Obviously, I took that responsibility seriously, but he was always just a foster. And then I think we talked about it on the last episode, maybe, where the other puppy that I was fostering got adopted and his whole family was in the lobby. And <laughs> we walk into the lobby and that puppy runs over to his family and is like, oh, my God, hi. And Charlie just goes over to the kennel door and is like, mom where are we going because I don't I don't go with those people so Charlie kind of adopted me but I did take it pretty seriously being worried about can I afford two dogs that sort of thing in hindsight obviously thank god I kept him because he probably wouldn't be alive if he had gone anywhere else given his issues that he grew into but and then Churchill is my third dog Churchill I would never kind of I never intentionally adopted him <laughs> um, he was my hospice foster and we always joke that he just never died. <laughs> um, I fostered him six years ago and he had a terminal heart condition. And after a while, the shelter that I was fostering him for ended up closing down. So I just adopted him because obviously, what else are you going to do when the shelter closes down and you have a terminal heart dog? <laughs> um, so I adopted him kind of to keep him out of those closing proceedings. And then obviously, I wasn't going to let him go. I had already fostered him for so long. And at that time, he was still terminal. He ended up not being terminal within the next couple years, but he was my hospice foster that just never died. <laughs> I was very well aware that I could never, ever, ever afford his medical. He has a lot of medical problems. He always has, even when he wasn't hospice anymore, he still has plenty of other medical problems. Pick a medical problem, he has it. <laughs> That's part of why he was a foster. I wasn't responsible for his medical and then I kind of didn't have a choice anymore when the shelter closed because there was nobody to take over his medical. So we just have been figuring it out for the last six years. <laughs> so not a super good example there. But, <laughs> but you know, we, we've made it work and he's the best. So Noble is my fourth dog. I trained with him. He was part of the proper placements program that I do, which is a board and train for rescue dogs that are stuck in boarding. So he lived in boarding for about six months. And then I took him on as a training client. And so he lived with me for about a year as a foster in training. And he is so good. Even when he came to me, he was so well trained. Somebody has leash trained him. <laughs> Somebody taught him all of his basic commands. He's just really, really good, really well behaved. But during the year that I had him, he had zero adoption interest. Uh, didn't get a single email, I don't think. And I really wanted another therapy dog because Churchill had retired at that time. So I adopted him thinking that he would kind of replace Churchill as my therapy dog and as my like one of my main test dogs because Churchill and Peter were my test dogs and they are both retiring or they had retired at that time. So I really need a test dog and I thought he might be it. He's not. <laughs> he's not. And he's also not a therapy dog, but I adopted him in hopes of him being one and he isn't. So <laughs> But he's still my favorite and I still love him. <laughs> uh, 
And then last but certainly not least is Doobie, who's sleeping right next to me right now. Doobie should probably have an entire podcast all to himself. (laughs) He has some issues. (laughs) And he's just a cool dog. But essentially, it's kind of similar to Noble in that I trained with him. He was in the proper placements program as well. But I had him for probably two years, maybe. I had him for a long time. So he came to me after he bit someone and got in a dog fight at his previous foster home. So he was he has some pretty big stranger danger issues. And then he's really good with dogs, but he does resource guard. So the dog fights that he was getting in were over bones, things like that. So I board and trained him for about two years, I think. And he's super, super easy for me to manage. Like he does great here. He's super happy. I love him. All my dogs love him. He's arguably one of the most dog friendly dogs I have. (laughs) And I can manage his issues. No problem. I can get him to accept new people given enough time and and work. And I can also very, very easily keep him separate from any visitors. So his issues really aren't issues at my house. But you know, he is he's very large. Him and Noble both are around 100 pounds. Noble's a little bit bigger than him. But They're both very big boys. (laughs) So with his triggers and his size, he's just a pretty big liability to adopt out. So while myself and his rescue do very much both believe in behavior euthanasia, we just didn't think that he was a candidate for it. He's not malicious. Like he's he's the sweetest, biggest, goofiest goober. (laughs) But he does need to be managed. And it's hard to find people that are both willing and capable of doing that. So after having him for a couple of years, me and his rescue kind of talked and just figured out it's just too much of a risk to adopt him out. Not only is it going to be a one in a million to find someone willing and able, but also it's, you know, one small mistake can can lead to him being euthanized. And that's just, that wasn't a, a chance that we were willing to take because he's awesome. <laughs> he's the best. So we decided not to adopt him out. So I adopted him. And one of the big reasons I did as well is uh, we always joke that he is Noble's life partner. (laughs) Doobie and Noble are, if I didn't know any better, I would think that they were brothers legitimately. But they are 100% brothers now. And it would have been really hard to split them up because they love each other so much. (laughs) Uh, So they're best friends. They're, They're kind of a duo. But yeah, he has, Doobie has a lot of potential. I really love him, of course. So we I decided to keep him. So yeah, none of my dogs are really typical adoption stories where it was thought out or responsible. But just like with Charlie, it was always understood that if I committed, it meant, you know, I was willing to change absolutely everything in my life if I needed to do that at some point to accommodate them. So while I take the commitment super seriously, it was not always thought out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I adopted Doobie. He's my fifth and final. <laughs> We're going to try to get back down to three. God help us. But yeah, just, I think if nothing else, just make sure you make that commitment very thoroughly, I would say. Cool. So I see that Laura has sneakily changed who says what here at the end. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll go ahead and say our tagline because she's a grouch. <laughs> I think that about wraps it up. Our third episode is ready to be let out of the kennel. Reminder, you can find me on Instagram at MissTheLeastDogs or on my website, MissTheLeastDogs.com or on my online 
training platform, patreon.com slash Dogs. And you can find me on Instagram at properpupperslv and my website, properpupperslv.com. In our next episode, we'll be drinking mango margaritas and talking about dog myths. So there's probably some things that you've heard about dogs that aren't necessarily true. This is probably going to be part one of many because there's just so much to say. (laughs) But dog myths, part one, next time on Doggeritaville. Thanks for listening to Doggeritaville. Send us an email at doggeritaville at gmail.com. Or send us a DM on Instagram at doggeritaville. And let us know if there are any topics you'd like to see covered. Or if there are any margaritas you want us to try. And don't forget to leave us a review. Until next time, give your dog a treat from us.